Welcome to the Serious Security Seminar from Purdue University. Our speaker today is Kevin Bowers. Kevin is a senior research scientist and the manager of RSA Laboratories. His talk is entitled, You Can Hack, But You Can't Hide, Using Log Analysis to Detect APTs. Kevin? Thank you. So I'd like to make this an interactive session, or as much as you guys are comfortable doing that. Uh, feel free to interrupt. Feel free to ask me questions along the way. Um, you know, the other thing I'd like to point out here is this is research that happened in RSA labs, but this isn't research that I directly did. Uh, I'm presenting work of Alina and Joe, who are the others listed on this page. Um, so there may be things I can't answer, and I will get you those answers if I can't. Let me pause briefly before I get into the talk and make a quick little pitch for RSA Labs. We are a research group. We're an academic style research group, but we do research in industry. We work for RSA. We report to RSA, uh, who is the security division of EMC, a much larger company. Um, we do internships. Let me repeat that. We do internships. Uh, so th th for those of you who are interested in such things, uh, we take PhDs, occasionally master students who want to spend a summer doing research, publishing a paper, potentially filing a patent application. Uh, those are the kinds of things we do. We are, we do research. Um, I'm not in a suit. This is what I wear every day. I do research. I'm not, I'm not a suit. Um, so that's a little bit about RSA Labs. Um, and we do have, we do have opportunities, uh, both full-time positions occasionally um, and internships most summers. So with that, let me give you a taste of the kind of work that we do. Uh, as you may or may not be familiar with, APT attacks, advanced persistent threats, these are the, the worst and the most advanced kinds of attacks that enterprises typically see. Uh, RSA was the, the victim of such an attack back in 2011. Uh, we were breached, that's been publicly known. Uh, I can't go into any of the details around that breach, um, but it happened. They, were, they attacked us um, to get to some other people. And this is, you know, this is the kind of things that you, know, you worry about. Um, Corporate, corporate espionage, military secrets, all those sorts of things. And this is very, very common anymore. Let me walk you through sort of the standard APT kill chain. This is the steps that an attacker takes in one of these attacks. These attacks are targeted to be targeted at a particular enterprise and they're designed to be stealthy. They're designed to be unrecognizable and undetectable. First step is some form of social engineering, typically, where you'll send a, a spear phishing email or a waterhole type of attack, get somebody within the enterprise to come back to you and download a piece of malware. At that point, you have your footprint in the enterprise. From there, you're going to pivot to things of more interest. So, you know, maybe you get some admin who's got a bunch of rights but doesn't actually deal with production level anything. Uh, so you steal her credentials and move to another machine. Steal credentials from that machine and keep moving on. This is called the lateral movement stage. Eventually, you get to where you want to go, whether this is the code repository, the secret family recipe of KFC, whatever it might be. That's the point where you do data exfiltration. This is where you're stealing the secrets or whatever it is you're after. This is the step of, of bringing those back to you. The interesting thing about APTs is there's all of this communication that's leaving the enterprise. And there's visibility in most enterprises into these sorts, of, these sorts of, of traffic. So we can look at what network traffic is leaving, what network traffic is inbound, and use that sort of analysis to try and find these sorts of attacks. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about today. So the challenges in this fairly simple problem I just described. 
Well, we're trying to find a needle in a haystack. An APT is a very targeted, very stealthy approach. They do everything they can to remain under the radar. And not only that, but they're hiding their traffic in millions, and I do mean millions, of legitimate requests that happen every day from inside the enterprise. Uh, you know, even if your enterprise blocks things like Facebook and LinkedIn, there are still millions of legitimate reasons to be on the web doing things, and all of that traffic runs over the same pipes. It is a big data problem. Uh, I'll give you an example of just how much big data we're talking about a little bit later, but we're talking about very large um, and not only is it large, but it's noisy and inconsistent. So the log kind of messages that you get are not always synchronized. You don't always get timestamps that are trustworthy. You don't get them that have been properly formatted or properly parsed. Um, so there's a lot of work that goes into just getting the data in a normalized form that you can leverage. And then the other problem is there's very rarely ground truth. Now, we started this problem when Los Alamos National Research Lab launched a ground truth data set. They took their DNS logs, uh, anonymized them, and for a two-month period put that, made that information public. In the first month, they had just their log data, their DNS logs, and in the second month, they actually simulated APT-style attacks using their domain expertise um, on top of that DNS data. So this was one of those rare instances where, although simulated, there was ground truth data available for them. And that's where we started. This was released as a challenge to the community, uh, I guess about two years ago now. And uh, we found out about it and undertook the challenge. So here's a brief description of the challenge. I'm going to talk a little bit about the Los Alamos challenge, how we went about solving it, and then get to the interesting parts in terms of translating this to an enterprise environment, applying this within the data that we actually have access to uh, at our company. So again, like I said, uh, anonymized DNS queries and responses from the entire Los Alamos National Labs network uh, over February and March um, of 2013, so just a year ago. Um, and then they simulated 20 independent APT campaigns. So they only simula simulated the first day. So each day is a different campaign, and it's just the first day. The next day, that campaign dies, and they, and they move on to the next one. And then obviously, you've got ground truth here, so you can, can validate what you come up with. Uh, they broke things into four different cases, uh, sort of in increasing order of difficulty. Case one is you are, you are given a known compromised host, and your goal is to detect all the malicious domains that that host has contacted, sort of sh shifting out or sifting out the malicious domains that host contacted from the legitimate ones. The second case is there are several compromised hosts, and you may know about all of them, um, and now you've got to do the same problem. So now it's just sort of a larger set um, of detecting malicious domains. In the third case, you're given one compromised host, but there may be several in that day that have been compromised. So you need to detect all the malicious domains that have been contacted, as well as the other hosts within your enterprise that have been contacted. And then the fourth and obviously most challenging, closest to real world, you have no information. There are no given hints, and you're, the, the task is the same. Define the malicious domains and the compromised hosts. So. Because we have ground truth, we start looking at what does a typical attack look like? What do these APTs look like? What you see is some connections to um, you know, a malware dropper, um, and then eventually command and control style of communication. And then obviously interspersed is all the legitimate stuff. And you see this same pattern repeated across a number of hosts. So in a lot of cases, there is more than one host that's infected. Um, even an APT will, you know, will infect more than just a single machine. 
So one of the things we pulled out of this is the domains that are being contacted that are part of an APT are rare. That is, they are new to your enterprise. You haven't contacted them before. And not only that, but they're unpopular. So there are very few hosts within your enterprise that are contacting these domains. So it's not like you know, there's a new, new link up on YouTube and you know, a thousand people went to it. There are a handful. The other thing that we found is there are communities of these domains. They have similar features. So similar hosts contacting them, similar timing patterns, um, proximity in the IP space, a couple of other features, and I'll, I'll talk about how we weigh all of those different factors in a little bit. So going back to the big picture, what is the approach? First, we have to reduce the data. This is a big data problem, and there are mountains of data. So we've got to filter the DNS queries to those that we're interested in. And then we have to filter out all the popular destinations. We know, or we're going to assume, that Google isn't a malicious domain. And so we're going to ignore all the con connections to Google. Then we need to figure out what does typical host activity look like. If I know what you typically do from your machine, then I can notice when that machine starts doing things that are different than what you expect. Um, so looking at the domains that are contacted during uh, the training month where we assume there is no attack, as well as uh, new domains that the enterprise starts to visit overall, and, you know, in a, from a global perspective. Then we look for features. What are the things that are valuable here and what things can we leverage to sort of key off of as we're trying to detect these things? Things like automated connections. Command and control is typically done on a periodic basis, although that's not always the case. Um, domain connectivity, timing features, etc. And then what, how we sort of tie all this together is we borrow a technique from graph theory called belief propagation. And here's how it works. So once you find either one known malicious host or domain, you sort of iterate back and forth. So you find a host, you find the domains that it's contacted. We're going to look for the new and unpopular ones. And then iterate back. So what other hosts have contacted those same domains? Well, does that give me net yet another set of domains that I need to consider? And you sort of propagate this belief back and forth until you've got some steady state or you reach some threshold. At some point, you sort of quit this algorithm. But that's the basic idea. So I know I've got an, an infected machine on the inside. Let me see who it talked to. Well, let me see who else talked to that same thing. Let me see of that set what they talked to that's suspicious. And you just sort of iterate in that fashion until you reach a stopping condition. So as I said, there's sort of four basic steps here in terms of how we go about this problem. The first is data reduction. And let me give you a sense of the scale of what data reduction means. So this is one day's worth of DNS queries from the Los Alamos National Labs. There were 700,000. That's a decent size. Once you filter out those internal requests, the requests for internal resources, and even in an anonymized data set, that's pretty easy to figure out, uh, that drops it down just under 700,000. Well, Los Alamos and, and most other large networks run their own DNS servers. So you actually see the query to the closest server, and occasionally that server has to reach out to the next one up in the chain. Um, and so you have to filter that out as well, because you really only want the unique ones. You only want the unique DNS queries. That happens to have a, a huge impact. And then folding. So folding is the idea that there are going to be a bunch of subdomains that get created on a day. Um, you know, YouTube and Amazon here are good examples where there's some essentially random looking string and there are millions of these and you know I may hit one today and 15 tomorrow and 37 the next day. I want to fold those all. I just want to care about the fact that I'm talking to AmazonAWS.com 
And so I fold to, in this case, a third level domain. So .com is the first, YouTube second, whatever comes after that is my third. That's all the information I'm going to keep. I don't actually care if it's, you know, whatever ahead of that. I only care about the, the sort of the three level domains. And that gets me yet some further data reduction. So overall here, you know, I'm looking at like a, a five factor reduction in the amount of data that I have to analyze. That's helpful. So then, once we have this information, then we create this normalized representation for each and every day. And that information contains the host and the folded domain in timestamp order. So that I know from this host, I contacted this domain, and these are the times at which I did that. The other thing I keep is a list of IP addresses um, and sort of their resolution, or domains and their, their resolutions uh, to IP addresses. And this will come in uh, into play later. So, now I want to look at, for each host, what are the domains that I've contacted from that host within the training month. Again, this is the first month where we assume there are no attacks. So, and in particular, like I said, we want to look for new domains, domains that have not been contacted before. And here I'm actually defining new to be new to the enterprise in total. So, not new for this host, because that, that we're going to see tons of those, but new to the enterprise in total. So, I have a, an enterprise-wide view. This guy may start talking to, you know, Amazon today, and he wasn't yesterday. So he just got pulled into a project where they're ama leveraging Amazon. But that's not new to the enterprise. The enterprise has been talking to Amazon forever. So I want new domains for the enterprise relative to this host. I also want the unpopular domains. So the domains that very, very few people within the enterprise uh, are contacting. Think on the order of 1% or less. 1% of the enterprise or less is contacting this domain. Um, and you'll see in, in our environment, those numbers are even further reduced because the enterprise is so large. So now we can get even further data reduction. Looking at 250,000 per day uh, folded domains, if we just restrict ourselves to the new and unpopular, we're down right around the 50,000 mark. So again, a five-fold reduction, again, in terms of the amount of data that we're looking at. And as you'd expect, very, very little activity on the weekends. So now we get to the features. What are the things that we're going to key off of to find these, these attacks? So automated connections, the beaconing kind of activity that you typically see from command and control. We're going to look at domain connectivity. And I'll, I'll walk through this in a graphic that will explain it a little bit better, just, just giving you the high-level view at this point. We're going to look at some of the timing features in terms of I hit a malware dropper, and then 30 seconds later I start contacting command and control, and that proceeds every hour on the hour uh, from there on out. And then you also can look at the proximity and IP address space. So some malware is smart and will send you to very different looking domain names, but they resolve to the same or essentially the same IP address because that's the easiest way to register things. So going back, the first step here is determine automated connections. We know that most of those connections are going to be close to periodic, but there are things that aren't. Um, and you know, maybe your logs miss a connection. And so then your periodicity is thrown way off because you've got one at, at double the frequency instead of, of uh, at the expected frequency. So if you look at an average interconnection histogram, and again, this is for a particular host to a specific domain. So we've got, you know, 10,000 of these graphs for every user because that, you know, however many domains they contact in that day. What you'd like to be able to do is you'd like to be able to compare that to a periodic distribution in some sort of smart way. Well, it's easy to figure out what is the, the sort of the bin of most weight here. I, from the graph, it's easy to see that there is one frequency that sort of sticks out among all the others. 
And so I can compare that to the periodic uh, histogram with the same frequency. But I want to be able to account for things like missed logs or, or other sorts of events that happen in the real world. This data is not perfect. There are missed, missed logs all the time. And so we're going to use what's called the Jeffrey divergence. And this is sort of a more statistically robust measure of how similar these distributions are. And then we assign a threshold and say if the uh, distance is less than some given threshold and we can sort of optimize that threshold based on the data that we're seeing, we're going to consider this to be automated activity. That doesn't necessarily mean it's malicious, it just means it's automated. It happens on a periodic basis. So now we're looking at, so how many automated domains does a typical uh, host see? And the, this scale here is in log um, on the y-axis, but you know you see all automated domains, there's a couple thousand within a day. If we restrict that to just the domains that are rare, so not generally popular, but just seen by a small number of hosts, we're down under 100. If we look at rare automated that have similar patterns, so these are rare domains with automated connections, and the automated interval is similar across multiple hosts. Now we start getting really close to the stuff that is truly malicious. Um, and you'll see here in this graph that we've got, you know, one or two of those per day, um, and the number of malicious per day is a very small number as well. Um, this is, in, in all cases, uh, you know, an overestimation, but not by very much. Obviously, to correlate across hosts, you've got to have at least two hosts contacting that, um, and then you look at those similar periods. Again, a reminder of the four cases, because now I'm going to walk through some of the results that we found uh, leveraging this. So, case one. New and unpopular domains contacted by a compromised host. So I know the compromised host. I can just look at the logs for that day and find the new and unpopular domain that he's contacting. In this case, he happens to be beaconing at a 19-minute interval. So the first thing we do is we want to look in time what other things near there are relevant. So we sort of expand our search and say, well, what caused this command and control to start happening today? There has to have been some preceding event uh, that made it relevant. And so we include those in our search. That's basically at a high level how you address case one. These are going to get more and more interesting as we go. Case two. Now I've got a set of hosts, and I want to find all of the malicious domains. So I can enumerate all the rare, unpopular, and new domains contacted by all of my hosts. That's not all that hard. Uh, in this case, on this day, uh, there were 105 of them. So now I want to look for domains that are contacted by more than one host, so two or more. Here I get uh, two hosts that contact this top domain, and they both beacon at a 59-minute interval. Okay, so I'm going to assume that those two hosts are compromised. This is, this is where I start making assumptions and starting to start to apply some of this um, belief propagation. Now I want to look who else has, have those two hosts contacted. And I find two other domains that they've both contacted. All right, so how do I address the case where I've only got one host that got infected? Let me step through this animation. You can see this, the third domain down is contacted by only one host, and there's not even beaconing activity. I can't even use that to key off of here. This is where the IP address helps me. So I can see that in the IP address space, I actually have the same IP address as another domain, but the domain names are, are completely different. 
that allows me to expand my search to things where I may see only one connection. It allows me to find more of those things that I would have otherwise missed. It's not foolproof, um, but it's, it certainly helps. So, back to belief propagation. How do, we, how do we actually work this in practice? This is case three. We've got one compromised host labeled in red on the internal, and now we're going to look for all of the domains that are malicious, as well as any other hosts that may be infected. So, in this case, I, it's easy to identify one host or one domain uh, that I beacon to at 10 minute intervals from my known infected machine. I also find another one that's in the same slash 24 subnet. So now I want to propagate that belief back the other direction. I now assume that these are malicious domains. Let me propagate back the other direction. Who else is talking to these same domains? I find three more inside my network. Let's go back the other way. I'm going to assume that those three are potentially infected. Who are they talking to? And are, are those hosts potentially infected? So now I find Pinkie Pie, and this is, this is an anonymized name. Um, this is actually the name that, that Los Alamos gave that they had some weird anonymization algorithm. Um, anyway, Pinkie Pie is of the list, let me back up, of this list of um, rare domains that was contacted is the one of max score. And I will on the next slide define how we compute this score. But it is the most suspicious of all those rare domains contacted by this set. So I'm going to add that to my list. And now I may look for others. So in this case, propagating backwards didn't give me any new hosts in my enterprise. So I'm going to go back and look for another domain. What's my next max score domain? Applejack C3 is the next one. And we sort of continue this until we get to some steady state or, we, again, we reach a stopping condition. Either the score is not high enough to make it suspicious or any other um, case. Here, Applejack.c3 gives me two more hosts on the inside. And that's where we're going to stop. That's going to be sort of our, our threshold in this case. But you can do this back and forth until you reach a, reach a threshold. And because we have ground truth, it's easy to sort of set those thresholds to be reasonable. It gets harder in the enterprise case, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. So how do we compute this score? How do we say this is the, the domain of max score? First, I'd like to know how many hosts in my enterprise are contacting it. Is there an overlap with hosts that I've already labeled as malicious? And also, what is that total number? Um, and in some cases, you know, the total number actually works in the inverse. Uh, you want smaller numbers because you are assuming these to be um, very stealthy kinds of attacks. But in this case, I've got two hosts that I've already assumed to be malicious, and they are both contacting Pinkie Pie. Is it in a similar IP address space? In this case, it's not. So that doesn't add to my score. <clears throat> is there a timing correlation? What is the frequency, if any, that at which this domain is being contacted from the inside? Here there is. Um, they're both contacting it sort of at the same, same intervals. And then is there a timing correlation with other malicious domains? So this is sort of, the first is looking for more like beaconing activity. The second is, does this follow closely after or does this closely precede another assumed malicious event? So could this be a malware dropper and the other the command and control server? In this case, that is true as well. So. We add these together. If you're really interested in all the math that goes into how you, read, how you add them together, read the paper. Um, but eventually, you turn that into a score. So those are the four things, 
for solving the Los Alamos challenge that we used to compute our max score um, and decide, you know, when do we sort of terminate this algorithm. Now we get to the interesting case, case four. I have no hints. Where do I start? Right? I have nothing to go off of. There are 142 rare automated domains that I found on this particular day. What do I do with that? <clears throat> well, let's start by looking at things that beacon and do so at similar intervals and where I've got more than one of them. Obviously, if I'm going to do similar intervals, I've got to have more than one. So I've, I'm able to, from that, able to identify two domains that are both beaconing at 30-minute intervals, and they are connected to several components on the inside. Each one is connected to at least two. Now, that's all I need. All I need is a starting point. I need either a malicious domain that I can assume to be malicious, or a host on the inside that I can assume to be compromised. And then I do believe propagation, as before. There's 40 other rare domains contacted by those hosts. Let's find the one of highest score. The one of highest score happens to overlap on all four connections and also has timing correlations. It's not in the same IP address space, but the first two are enough to make it score high enough. Now I find one in the same slash 24 subnet, and I iterate back. Find a couple of more infected hosts, or potentially infected hosts. And I guess I should make a note there. So everything we do is trying to identify things that are suspicious, that are suspected. Um, this runs independently, but the output is destined for a human. There is a human in this loop. This is not, we don't take blocking action or anything automated based on this analysis. There's, there's too much human expertise that needs to go into the process to eliminate them. Our goal is to give them all the tools they need to make that decision faster. To give them the things that they need to be paying attention to so that they can make their decision, this is something I need to pay attention to or not. And we actually leverage their feedback as well to help make our algorithm smarter. Again, sort of iterate back and forth. So, I'm going to go through this quickly. How we sort of solve the, the different challenges, we walk through that. How did we do? So, there were 60-something um, true positives, so domains or hosts that were infected that needed to be found. We found 59 of them. So we found 93, 94%. Pretty good. We had one false positive on case three, um, and we had a couple of false negatives. So we, we falsely identified one domain that was not infected, um, and there were a couple of false negatives, things that we missed, and we missed them because of the filters that we applied. We assumed that certain things weren't going to be popular, and there were a couple of attacks that leveraged popular websites um, in the simulation. So we missed those, and, and we knew we were going to miss those. We, this just validates how, how infrequent those kinds of things are. Overall, though, very good results. Um, we weren't the only ones to undertake this challenge. And because it's not my work, I'm going to brag. Alina and Joe did a great job. They, from every estimation, beat everyone else. Uh, the next best result that I saw published was a true positive rate in the 50s. So we're really good when there's ground truth. There's no ground truth in a real enterprise. So how do you deal with this mess that is a real enterprise? Well, a real enterprise raises additional challenges. If you thought you had big data at the Los Alamos data set, you really have big data now. 
this is for EMC. Uh, EMC collects a lot of this kinds of information. There are 300 million events daily in our web proxy logs. We collect, just in the web proxy logs, 38 terabytes of data in a two-month window. To make things worse, our IP addresses change daily, hourly, every time you go to a meeting and change conference rooms. We run DHCP, we have VPN connections, there are 15 different ways you can become part of our network and every time you do you get a different IP address. So correlating back to a specific machine is not easy. We do collect some of this information so we can look at DHCP logs but they are by no means complete. Uh, we get decent coverage looking at those but it doesn't solve our problem. And you would think in an enterprise where you have control over everything running on your network, you could at least get normalized timestamps. Not even close. Um, we have to estimate what we think the correct time zone is for a log message and translate the timestamp provided into UTC. And these are just best guesses based on when we receive it at the, the log collection, um, anything that we happen to know about that machine, whether it's got an IP address in Israel or somewhere else, we can factor all these things in, but by no means are logs collected in any sort of consistent manner. So we have to deal with that as well. And then, worst of all, we don't have ground truth. We have some tools that we can leverage. We have some experts inside the enterprise that we can leverage um, to get feedback, but we don't have ground truth. That's weighed off by there are some advantages. In an enterprise, domains aren't anonymized. I've got more visibility into who's being contacted. I can get additional information from the HTTP connection. So I'm not now looking at DNS logs, I'm looking at the web proxy logs. So I'm looking at the domains you actually visit as opposed to the ones you look up. And I get information about those connections. I know how much data traveled over the network to such a, such a destination and other sorts of things. And then, like I said, the, the human in the loop here is our security operations center. Uh, there's a dedicated team within RSA that this is what they're tasked with and so we're helping them and they're helping us. It's a nice little feedback loop we have. So, similar features that we used from the Los Alamos set, automated connections, domain connectivity. Now we also look for things like there's no refer. This can happen if you just type in a web address. You go there without a refer. If you've got it in a bookmark. Otherwise, if you're following links from a web page, typically there's going to be a refer. It's going to say, you're referred to this website by Google.com. You ran a search, Google said, here's the website you're looking for. When you click on the link, the refer gets set. We can also lock, look for unpopular user agent strings. So these are machines that are reporting weird versions of software or other things. So the user agent string includes all kinds of things about, I'm running Windows 95, I've got this version of Flash and Java installed. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that can go in there. And in an enterprise, those, there are certainly user agent strings that are more common than others because most of the machines are managed by the enterprise. And so they'll have similar user agent strings. Because we know more information, things aren't anonymized, we can do a Whois lookup. We can figure out when was the domain registered and how long is the registration valid for. Older domains are typically more trustworthy as are longer registrations. If you're an attacker, you're going to register a domain when you need it for as short a time as you need it. You are, you're economically motivated. You're going to minimize your costs. So how do we get any semblance of ground truth? 
Virus total gives us some measure of that. We can query virus total with a domain. They will run a bunch of um, malware checks against it, um, antivirus kinds of things. And you know they've got 40 or 50 of those that they, they check against it. And if one of them pops up a flag, we can use that as some measure of ground truth. Um, but it's by no means perfect. Using that, though, we can sort of determine some of the thresholds and the weights that we set um, through a regression analysis. So if we're going to assume that virus total gives us some information, then it's generally trustworthy. We're going to leverage that to set our thresholds and then have a system that detects things and then run those by our human analyst to get real feedback. Because we can't send them a list of 10,000 domains and ask them to sort through it. So, how do we do in the enterprise when we sort of apply these techniques? So, at essentially command and control detection, yes. So, this is the case where we don't know anything. This is sort of case four. We're going into it without any information. What we find is we detect 85 to 95% is our true detection rate. Of this stuff that we detect, 85 to 95% of it is actually malicious. So some of those, uh, looking at the graph here, the red is things that are either known to virus total and or our security operations center. So these are things that were already known uh, but may not have been caught by antivirus. So they're things that are on the network that are known to be malicious but we're not actually doing anything about because nobody's noticed. The green are things that we've been able to detect and confirm as malicious. Uh, the blue bar indicates everything that is that we've detected that is highly suspicious, um, but we don't have a definitive answer one way or another whether it's actually malicious. It could just be poorly written code uh, that doesn't actually do anything bad, uh, or it could be actually trying to uh, part of an attack. And then certainly we key off some things that are legitimate. Uh, there are false positives. I'm not not trying to hide those. So we had um, over this. I believe this was a month. We had 20. No. Uh, based on those numbers, I think this has to be a week. 23 new detections um, that were not known, oh, not known to virus total or our SOC. So this, this is a month. So in a month time, we found 23 things um, that nobody in our enterprise or virus total knew about that we were able to confirm as malicious. And in, in total, there were 70 new detections, um, things that were basically being missed. The other advantage of working in an enterprise is there are there are machines that they know to be infected. Um, there are tickets issued for machines to get wiped all the time because they get infected with something and they, that's the easiest solution. Go wipe the machine. If you have visibility into those kinds of behaviors, you can use that as a hint. So now you can move yourself from case four back to case three. I know a malicious or a, an infected machine in my enterprise. Let me start from known malicious and, and run belief propagation. So we did that as well. We ran 28. Um, Seeds, in this case we were looking at domains, known domains, uh, similar detection rates. The interesting thing is running with and without hints give you very different answers. So when you start from known bad, you find more of things like it. You find other hosts that are infected with the same malware, and you find other malware that is of similar style. When you run in the sort of unsupervised case, you find stuff that's further afield that nobody is really paying any attention to. Um, and so they actually kind of work in, in parallel. You can run in the no hint case, identify the, you know, the most suspicious machine in the enterprise, and then run in the hint case to find other machines that have the similar infection on it. Um, so they can actually sort of run um, 
parallel to, you can almost run belief propagation back and forth between the two different algorithms. Um, so when we had a hint, we were able to detect 108 additional malicious domains, uh, 29 of which were net new, uh, unknown to us or VirusTotal. Interestingly, we also found two groups of DGA, um, dynamic generation, uh, domain generation algorithms. So this is malware that has in it basically a, a pseudo-random generator. It will generate a domain name and reach out to that domain name at a specified interval. The, obviously, the attacker has the same algorithm and will register that domain hours before it knows its malware is going to reach out to it. And these change every hour. So every hour I get a new domain, and if the attacker wants to send a command, he'll go register that domain and issue a command when the, co the connection comes in. We were, able, we were able to find two of these, two groups of 10, uh, sort of a, a set of 10 that they were iterating through, that were not known uh, to VirusTotal or this, our security operations center at the time. In fact, we found ones that hadn't even been registered yet. So we were able to find connections that were trying to go to domains that had never been registered, um, and so were not yet part of an active campaign. So this is what it looks like running in an enterprise. Uh, again, this is the no-hint case where we're sort of running blind. In this case, we identified, uh, so this was a particular day in February. Uh, we found seven hosts that were suspicious. Four of them are connecting to known malicious sites or sites that VirusTotal deems to be uh, malicious. Obviously, there are false positives. Three of them connect to AA vac Vacations, which is most likely a legitimate site. This is sort of the interesting case where we start with a known hint. So we know uh, this bottom one, extremesoftnow.ru, is malicious. This is the, the hint that we got from our security operations center. And obviously, it's pretty easy to look back and find the host, host5 here, that contacted that, that domain. Well, now you run belief propagation, right? So what other things were being detected? Uh, so we find a bunch of things. Uh, the purple over here are things that have been detected by VirusTotal. Uh, the red are things that either our Security Operations Center already knew about or issued tickets on upon this finding. The interesting one, uh, tastyreview.com at the pro top, probably legitimate. The middle one, though, unknown to us, unknown to VirusTotal, but follows the pattern of all the others. This could very well be uh, domain generation. There's a, you know, 16 random characters org, right? They all follow that pattern. Um, we were able to identify several of them, and then there's the one that nobody knew about. Um, so we sort of gave them the, the rest of that domain generation algorithm's output. So overall, this is a line of research that RSA Labs is pursuing. This is one of many things that we've done in this space. Uh, like I said, we've got data sources including DHCP, uh, web proxy logs have been by far the most leveraged by us at this point. We have to do a bunch of normalization, which happens in the normalization layer, and then we do profiling and feature extraction. Everything we do follows this same model. It's, it's a generic model. The thing that changes is what are the things you look, you're looking for and what are the st statistical analyses that you run. So in this case, I was talking about the belief propagation analysis. We've done things with clustering. We're looking into things where Markov models may be the right way to analyze the data. And out of these, you get different use cases. So, um, you know, you get command com control communication out of the belief propagation. Uh, we're looking to try and identify things like lateral movement, uh, finding policy violations. Um, some of our previous work, many of you may have been here last year when Ting Fang 
uh, from RSA Labs came and presented. She was talking about the same framework using clustering to detect policy violations and malware that was getting past antivirus. Uh, so it found sort of the noisy stuff, and we moved on to more of the, the targeted uh, APT style of attacks. At the top of this, we get out prioritized alerts. So we can take all of these inputs and put together a list and say, these are the things that we found most suspicious in the network today. You may want to go investigate these. And that's where the human comes into the loop. And the human can go do that investigation and then report back to us and say, this was useful for me. This was an actual active attack. This is not. You guys need to you work harder at filtering this kind of thing out. And we can feed that right back into our profilers and our feature extraction to help get smarter and smarter about this. So that's the kind of research that we've been doing, um, and a, a brief glimpse into how we're doing some of it. Uh, nobody interrupted me, so I haven't gotten any questions yet. Hopefully you have some now. Yes? Um, have you heard of the product called Google? Please use the mic. Have you heard of the product called Gurukul? <laughs> Say that again. Have you heard of a product called Gurukul? G-U-R-U-C-U-L? I have not. Okay, that, uh, I mean, in my opinion, that does pretty much the same thing that uh, what you explained. So I'm just curious how different uh, it is from your research. Okay, I will have to get back. I, again, I'm not familiar with the product. Who sells it? The company is called That's Gurukul. the company name? Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with that, no. No problem. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah? Uh, where can I find the full paper? So the work that we did on the Los Alamos challenge was published at their workshop that they ran um, for everyone who, who tried to solve the challenge. Um, the follow-on work where we evaluate this on the enterprise is currently under submission. Um, I may be able to provide you a copy if you email me. Thank you. I'll have to check with the co-authors. Any other questions? All right. Thank you very much.